0: As you see there, as uh, was just read for you, verses 15 and 16 is this morning's text, where the you'll notice a couple of key pieces there in verses 15 and 16 of how the author keeps with the theme of sacrifice for those who follow Christ outside the camp. So we looked at last week this this. Theme of sacrifice and following Christ out outside the camp where he has gone. Verse 12 says So Jesus also suffered this issue outside the camp. He suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So he's keeping with this theme of sacrifice. He continues the grounds for such courage, the grounds for a bold life lived by faith in Christ, comes from, verse 14, for here, this this is why we sacrifice, this is why we follow Christ in the place of scorn or marginalization or put him first in our life by faith, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city. But we seek, that is, by this life of faith that we live outside the camp, we are seek the city that is to come. And so the apostle is going to keep with this theme of sacrifice as we follow Christ outside the camp. And this is a consideration for us this morning, that although the external elements of sacrifice, and this is what's at stake in the conversation here regarding the first century Judaism, that is taking place right there in front of those who are in this faith community, this church gathered here in the urban context of Rome. They're considering going back to Judaism. The argument is to push them forward. Follow Christ outside the camp. Don't return to what seems to be a place of sanctity, but follow Christ by faith outside the camp where he himself has gone to bring sanctity, to bring holiness. So follow Christ, and as they're looking upon these sacrifices, considering by faith Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. Here we stand as the Christian church in the 21st century, and although the external elements of sacrifice have come to a close, that is, we are not gathering this morning in the temple, We are not coming this morning with our various animals for sacrifice. I am not a high priest who stands and offers on your behalf. So indeed, although the external elements of sacrifice have come to a close, not as we said last week, brushed underneath the rug, but have been brought to their clarity and their fulfillment in the climactic sacrifice of Christ. Although that has ended, The substance of sacrifice remains. So the external elements have been fulfilled, but the church is not now a community that does not know sacrifice, is not called to be a community that does sacrifice, that does follow in difficulty, is to remain faithful by sacrificial lives laid down, which is our reasonable service of worship. Though the external elements of sacrifice have been closed, the substance of sacrifice remains. And this morning, as the Apostle guides us, what it does look like in the ongoing life of the church, a community of sacrifice. I want to consider the substance of sacrifice with you this morning in light of one particular question that I hope to answer from this text, that is this morning, to consider the substance of sacrifice in light of this question. How do I, I personalize it for me, this is I'm asking for you to think in your own mind, how do I live a life that is pleasing to God? How do I do that? That seems to be oftentimes in Christian circles, cast with a judgmental view toward one another seems to be the million-dollar question. That then turns, not to the community to unify one another by grace, but it creates a judgmental community, not by grace. Because we're seeking to ask this question, how do I live a life that is pleasing to God? I believe in the Lord. I love him. He animates my life by His Spirit. I want to live a life that is full of gratitude. And the question often we ask is, how? How do I do it? Pastors are often charged with not being specific enough of how. Because we do desire to know, brass tacks, how do I live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? And in seeking to answer this question, oftentimes, there is a leverage to manipulate. I'll tell you, follow me. That comes with a whole host of the person's individual desires and the person that is in charge, his individual uh, attitudes, marked by those things that he seems to isolate. And oftentimes, those things are largely, we all know, personality-driven. So if I were to give you a list, and maybe perhaps that's sometimes why I don't get maybe to some of you Uh, kind of, I wouldn't say you're annoyed with me. I'd be more gracious to myself. Uh, Maybe, uh, I don't know. Uh, Who knows? You're something at times, some of you. Where is the more specific? Could you be a little more narrow in your spiral? Could it get a little more fine at the bottom? And maybe it is because I seek to protect both you and myself from those things that are driven on by a constitution by a way in which my hard wiring works that would give shape to how I am fleshing out some of the things we know to be biblical, and you as well. I was talking with someone this morning. There are multiple, as many people in this room, there are wirings, hard wiring, soft wire, hardware, software, not wire. That goes with each one of us. That just is how we see the world, how we're operating through it, how we're maneuvering the challenges. So then sometimes extremely specific application becomes self-driven and that's how I then conceptualized exactly brass tacks, how I flesh this text out. So we're always kind of asking the question in small groups, in discussion within our family. Again, how it is that we live by faith a life that is pleasing to God, whom we do love? Because we are a community of sacrifice an ongoing lives lived by Faith. So I want to, together from verse 15 and 16, tackle this question, at least to some degree, of how it is indeed that we can, from this text, understand how we live a life that is pleasing to God. The first, if I could say, I will list three of them. And the first and the most important consideration. If you are to answer this question with me, I trust you have asked it now very personally. How do I live a life that is pleasing to God? I would provide for you, as I do to myself according to this text, I think the apostle is providing each of us the first and the foremost important consideration of how I live a life that is pleasing to God is number one, by resting In and receiving all that Christ is. That is the first way. That is the first answer. That's the first consideration for me, for you, for everyone. The first and the foremost consideration of how I live a life that is pleasing to God is by resting in and receiving all that Christ is. What do I mean by that? Right? Because we always need to get more specific. So what do we mean exactly? And how do we see that in the text? Well, consider with me the order of the language in verses 15 and 16. Let me read for you, and you'll pick up on it right away, I trust. Verse 15. Remember, he's keeping with the theme of sacrifice, it's not a brand new thought. It's keeping with that going out to him to outside the camp to where he endured the grounds that strengthens and gives life of faith for strength, and so we're seeking a city that is to come, and then he adds this comment to our life lived by faith, verse fifteen, through him, then do you see so, so before you get to anything. For you get the language of how it is you sacrifice, what your sacrifice entails, what it looks like. He begins right where everything that comes from it is empowered by it. Verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You see, the order of the language of verse 15 answers, begins to answer the question of how it is we live a life that is pleasing to him. It is by resting in and receiving all that Christ is. A life that is pleasing to God Is above all. I cannot be more earnest with you as I plead with myself. We consider our life lived externally, our life lived before the face of God. That life that is lived in a pleasing manner is above every other consideration. A life that accepts, receives, and rests upon Christ Jesus as the only sufficient sacrifice for our sins? That's the beginning of the answer. Not for me alone, neither for a single person alone in isolation here in the room or for any individual for that fact, outside the room. It's the answer for everyone that a life that is to be pleasing to God is above all. A life that accepts, receives, and rests upon Christ as the only sufficient sacrifice for his sins. Now, you notice verse 15 is a continuation, I said, of the comment that he has already been making, through him then. So, right, that's the only way we can offer a sacrifice of praise. It's the only way that fruit bursts forth from our lips is by being connected to Christ. Verse 15, through him then we go. Now, to see that this is a continued exhortation. He has been describing the significance and the center of Christ for everything to the church throughout the final exhortation here. That is, he's leaving us this way. Believe it or not, within the next year, we will be wrapping up Hebrews. And this is the way that he is leaving us with this exhortation that Christ stands at the center for everything for his church. Notice how he's done so. Look in chapter 13, this final exhortation, beginning in verse 5. I just want to walk through, again, how we can't begin to sacrifice. We can't begin to answer a life pleasing to God looks like this. If we skip step one, we, in order to be pleasing is to rest in and to receive all that Christ is. That's how we're pleasing. Verse 5 Christ being the center of everything to the church. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, do you see the the greater promise? Christ is the center of everything to the church. He promised us, I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Verse 6, he continues, the Lord is my helper. Look as he continues to verse 7, he is present, that is Christ is present through the preaching of his word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus is present for the church through the preaching of his word. Look as he continues to speak of Christ as the center of everything. To begin a life that is pleasing is to rest in and receive all that Christ is for us. That's the beginning of a life that is pleasing to God. And how is it that Christ is Everything for the church, verse 8, he is absolutely stable to the church and he is unchanging forever. Verse 8, Jesus Christ, not the pastor, not circumstance, not finances, not classes, not A's and B's, but Jesus is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. That is, Christ is always stable, and always, without change, he remains the same. He continues how Christ is the center as he f- this final exhortation, this is a life that is pleasing, when it rests in this. I ask you in, in your quest for living a life actively that is pleasing, does it begin by resting and receiving before you're off to the doing? Does Christ remain the sole object of your faith? He continues why Christ indeed ought to and must remain the sole object of our faith. Verse 9, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. He strengthens his own. You, this morning, He strengthens his own by grace, not by requirement. He provides. Abundantly, he provides. Verse 10, notice how Christ is yet again the center of everything to the church by describing him as the altar that we possess. Verse 10, we have an altar. As we considered last week, that is, He unites us to himself by faith. We possess he who was sacrificed and the sufficiency of that sacrifice. We possess him by faith. Verse 12, notice he suffered. He is the center to the church. He is the center for our lives. He is the beginning of our lives lived that bring pleasure to God, our lives that rest in and receive all that he is for us. Who is he in verse 12? But he who suffered for us, the church, outside the gate, not aimlessly, not wishfully, but purposefully to sanctify us through the spilling of his own blood. That is, he suffered to make us holy. Continue as we look through the text as Christ dissenter center to the church in the beginning of a life that is to bring pleasure to God as a life that rests in these truths and receives them by faith in all that Christ is for them. Look beyond verse 12 into verse 13. He calls us, outside to the camp where he did go and to bear the reproach he endured to meet us in our hour of need. Verse 14, he provides a home that is everlasting. We are on a pilgrim's journey, one that we live by faith him who died and gave himself up for us. He remains the object of our faith throughout our entire pilgrim journey. He provides all that is required and he is preparing a place for us. We seek a city that is to come. You see, if we were to walk through this text, because then verse 15 says, through him then, that is, as we possess him by grace, through faith, we then, through him then, live a life that is pleasing, one that is marked by sacrifice. We must grasp, as we look to the picture of Christ in this final exhortation, we must grasp that the church is still a community of sacrifice. But our sacrifices do not foreshadow and point forward to a sacrifice that is to come. We're not bringing our animals in, laying them down, slitting their throats, filling the basin and flickering it all over me and flickering it all over you. I mean, carrying it in, going out, ceremonial washing, coming back out, men walking around, blowing the trumpet sound. We grasp these externals of sacrifice, indeed, have passed away, praise the Lord. But the substance of sacrifice among God's people remains the same. Our sacrifices don't point forward. But our sacrifices flow from. and are animated by the once-for-all sufficient sacrifice of Christ. The ordering of the text is critical. Sometimes I type that in my notes, and I think, I've said that at least a thousand times in the month. But it is critical. Perhaps sometimes we come to a passage in every Every way one proposition relates to the other is critical. But it kind of is. So it is that the ordering here, I say it again, is critical. Because it does reveal to us, the people of God, as we gather on this Lord's day and consider the life that we live by faith, that no matter, right, I'm looking at myself, you're looking at yourself, we're considering together by grace that no matter the sincerity of our service, Or, on the other hand, the severity of our sacrifice. No matter, no matter, track with me, that no matter the sincerity of our service or the severity of our sacrifices, it is not pleasing to God apart from faith in Christ. Through Him, then, let us live a life of sacrifice. It is because of Christ, as we outline through the final exhortation. And only because of Christ that my sacrifices bring a pleasing aroma to God thus i offer sacrifice that is my life laid down by faith through him he is the center of everything to God's people. In answering the question of how do I live a life that is pleasing to the God I love, I cannot begin ordering my steps of how unless I first grasp by resting in and receiving all that Christ is. That is where a life that is pleasing to God begins. And it is the life that brings pleasure to God that continues therein. It isn't receiving in or receiving in or resting in and receiving all in a moment. Like right now, let's say. And then it goes on, you know, to more mature things like step two, step three, step four. It is always thoroughly the step of bringing pleasure. Is in a moment and all of life's moments to be one who is by faith resting in and receiving all that Christ is. The second consideration, however, as we continue through the text, the second consideration of how to live that is, how am I to live a life? that is pleasing to the God that I do love. Number one, I repeat, by resting in and receiving all that Christ is. And number two, by offering the pleasing sacrifice of praise in a spirit of gratitude. The second consideration of how I live a life that is pleasing to God is by offering the pleasing sacrifice of praise in a spirit of gratitude of gratitude. Notice with me as you see there as we move past into verse 15, right past the that we must not miss, however. Through him then, now we're animated by, we're empowered and moved by all that is being provided. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, as we consider this text, there are two things right here in verse 15, two things regarding the sacrifice of praise that we need to wrestle with and acknowledge and apply. We notice two things, number one, about this pleasing sacrifice of praise and a spirit of gratitude that we do live. Is Number one, it is to be continual right so so we need to put away we need to overcome by grace put away the grumbling that that you know many of us are marked by it is this issue of a continuation of sacrifice of praise it isn't in a moment it isn't in the first 40 minutes alone of our redeemer service together that we offer praise but it is to be continual the grateful response that is for each of us the grateful response of those who possess Christ is he the sole object of your faith are you already one who is resting in and receiving all that he is for you then your grateful response is to be one of praise in all circumstances and at all times. That is continual. Let us continually offer up praise in a gratitude spirit, in a heart of gratefulness, Praise is an uninterrupted acknowledgement that God is the first of all objects. That's where I think if we were to get more specific, the rubber begins to meet the road. There are many objects that we possess. There are many objects we desire to possess. Those objects can be honors from others. The objects can be academic accomplishments. Those objects can be real estate. Those objects can be business ventures. Those objects can be even affirmation from others. Those objects can go on and on and on. As Calvin did say, the heart is a perpetual idol factory. But praise in gratitude is an uninterrupted acknowledgement that God is the first of all objects. Consider with me, I jotted a few of them down here that maybe we could think on just for a brief moment wherein we acknowledge that God indeed is If we stop to think for a moment, we won't be worse off for doing it. If we stop and think for a moment, it will affirm to us very quickly that God is the first of all objects. We consider He is to be adored, admired, and loved by His people through praise for what he has done in sending Christ to save his church. He is to be adored, admired, and loved. There is no other atonement. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other name. God is to be adored, admired, and loved by his people for his provisions in Christ. Consider even just a brief moment past, he is to be praised. Not in a moment, but always for his ever present watchful eye and daily support that is upon us in difficulty and distress. Remember the promise? He will not forsake you. The Lord is my helper. He is to be praised for those things. We are to live a life marked by gratitude, not like in a moment, but by faith continually because his watchful eye is upon me and his daily support is at hand as I face emotional, spiritual, and physical difficulty and distress. He is present. He promised he wouldn't leave. He's even in there with them, as naughty as they are. He is their daily support, even in their, how we often think the same. Difficulties and distress that are not as real, perhaps, as we think, and neither are the children's difficulties and distresses as serious as may they think but God is our helper and greatly to be praised. I think of two more. He is to be praised for the sanctification he produces that brings us ever-increasing joy in his spirit. Sanctification is not a production of the flesh. It isn't brought on by our legalism, and our attitudes of superiority, have you ever sat and rested in the thought of the sanctification that I experience, though as minor as it seems to be, is a grace that he is providing me, that brings me joy in his spirit? I love Christ more than I did. Have you ever thought that? How did you get there? By his grace. He is to be praised for the sanctification, though as small as it seems to be on our end. He is to be greatly praised for no good thing dwells within me. Consider also the final one I thought, jotting down He is to be praised as we even teach our little ones for the bounty of food that they're about to devour and the physical provisions that he yields to our bodies. Though indeed physical provisions seem to be more for others at certain times and seasons as well for ourselves. Any provision of which we are wholly unworthy, he is to be praised for the bounty of food and physical provisions he yields to us daily. A Puritan prayer of thanksgiving begins this way. I jot it down and share it with you. It nails the spirit of this text. O God, praise God. Waiteth for thee. And to render it is my noblest exercise. As the text also then speaks of the noblest of our exercises, that is to continually, not momentarily, not tossed about by every up and down, but continually in a spirit of gratitude, recognize and adore God as the first of all objects. It is to be continual. Secondly, it is to be sincere. How do we get there on the language of sincerity? Notice in the text, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God marked by continual spirit. It's always occurring. How? In isolation? In my own power? No, through Christ. And the sacrifice is further described in the text of verse 15. That is the fruit. Okay, so, so offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit. So your sacrifice is this fruit of lips that acknowledge his name the acknowledgement there in sacrifice of describing it as fruit speaks to sincerity. The way we know that, not only in the plain reading, but consider further that it clearly states it is the fruit of lips. We don't gather in here to perform the work of our lips. Although, again, teaching little ones about worship. Oh, I'm so tired. I can barely do it. I'm wore out. Saying, indeed, there is a labor of sacrifice that goes into worship. We come by the strength that He provides, that flows from sincerity that He produces. It is not that we gather daily in our minds, gather our thoughts together, put our feet on the floor to produce the work of lips that acknowledge his name. That is, I manufacture and I force myself simply through drudgery of a legalistic checklist to simply say, I love you, Lord, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you know. Give us this day our daily bread. We all need it. Thank you. Amen. Keep us from evil. Rather, as important as disciplines are, they're simply a hedge about what is being produced by grace, such as fruit of his spirit from those who acknowledge his name. That is, from those who already have resting in and receiving all that Christ is. This gets at the heart of our worship as individuals and collectively at Redeemer when we gather. Worship, praise, thanksgiving grows naturally out of his people as fruit which grows from a connected branch, you, to a steady vine, who is Christ, sourced in rich and true soil given of God. Fruit is naturally produced by his grace, praise ought flow from us in a spirit of gratitude continuously. With a spirit of sincerity. And the promise of the text is that it will, for those as we grasp truly who God is for us in Christ, we will be a people of praise. Have you ever felt your spirit of praise being overcome by a spirit of whininess? As we say before, a spirit of eorness. If you've ever seen Winnie the Pooh, an overall hot temper seems to trip us up and steal our joy of offering a spirit of gratitude. I would encourage you as this is spoken to the church that there is a way in which this is strengthened and fulfilled as we are together as the church, that we need one another, that we need brotherly encouragement, that we need sisterly love. We need to be together in a spirit of unity not around personalities and constitutions, but in Christ as the shared but sole object of our faith. That is, the body comes together and one is down here, one is up here, and the one up here reaches down and lifts a brother or sister here. And together we gather for the preaching of the word and we're all strengthened, we're all spoken to, we're all lifted, we're all instructed. We sing and we catechize together to strengthen one another, to be a people of gratitude. Remembering it's not about manufacturing it, it's about being strengthened and performing it. As we look yet again to he who produces it in us, we gather to look more deeply, with admiration and love at Christ Jesus yet again. Praise, then, from that place does flow. The final consideration of how it is. If you haven't tracked, let me rehearse. I've offered you two answers to the question so far. One, by resting in and receiving all that Christ is. Number two, by offering the pleasing sacrifice of praise in a spirit of gratitude. And number three, by offering the pleasing sacrifice of service to others. That is, again, not by manufactured work, but by grace that receives and rests in Christ. It is through him then that I continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. He sustains it. He provides it. He feeds me when I'm weary. That is, I'm able by His grace to see the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And also, verse 16, do not neglect then to do good and to share what you have. For such, here is this term yet again, keeping with with the theme of sacrifice, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The pleasing sacrifice of service to others is present. Would you consider with me that the pleasing sacrifice Service to others is present before the face of God when we turn warmly and abundantly toward others and their needs. If your life in Christ is simply about you and your advancement, if it lacks zeroing in on God through a spirit of continual praise that acknowledges him as the first and only worthy object. And it gives way to a spirit that I don't really care about the needs of others. Then we are in an incredibly dangerous place. If we then say, we have lips that acknowledge his name. It is pleasing to God when we then in Christ turn, turn warmly and abundantly toward others and their needs. Don't neglect to do good. It is a part of our reasonable service of worship as those who follow Christ outside the camp. We are marked by sacrifice. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us as your people through such a text as this, that speaks so clearly to how it is that we live a life that is pleasing before you. As it does this text and every text begin with receiving, resting in, accepting all that Christ Jesus is and thereby being animated empowered to offer the fruit that you've produced as those who acknowledge your name, that we then don't hold it, but it gives way to turning away from ourselves yet again and unto others and their needs. Thank you, Christ, for providing all of our needs that we can thereby live as people who give to others having been so richly supplied in Christ. We praise your name. Amen.